Welcome back, lords, ladies, and lovelies, to Black Girl Tea Party. My name is Yasmeen Hill. And I'm Aaliyah Dorsey. First things first, let's get right into the brew. Yasmeen, what is brewing for you this week? Okay, so my brew this week is an interesting one. It's, and that's really what I have to say, I wanted to talk about the proposed bill coming out of Alabama um, that people are calling the anti-riot bill. So Republican Representative Alan Treadway um, introduced this bill on Wednesday uh, with the intention of stiffening penalties for participating in riots that um, become violent or destructive. And coming out of the civil unrest that occurred in the summer months and into January, I think we, riots have been a very controversial topic of discussion. And this really is just adding to that. So, um, and this is from AP. Treadway said he began drafting the bill after a summer protest in Birmingham in the wake of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. So this is coming as a direct result of BLM protests across the nation um, and violence and destructiveness that came out of Birmingham as a result of that. He says, this summer what I saw was so alarming. That situation was hijacked. People could have died. Police officers were attacked. And I just think that this is really interesting. It's one of those situations where we also like still have to be tuned into rhetoric. This is giving me very like mandatory minimum vibes. It's giving me, um, it's reminiscent of other policies that are written and used to disenfranchise marginalized communities. Um, he says that he's not against peaceful protests, but says that law enforcement needs more tools to deter people who quote are hell bent on destruction so it's like let's take a minute and look at hell bent on destruction and i'm not saying that there wasn't any rioting or looting this summer but who is hell bent on destruction and how can you tell who's hell bent on destruction and i just can't imagine this is still um in it's Bill's phase. It's House Bill 445. So um, there's definitely some time. And I don't assume it'll pass the way that it's written right now. But we will stay tuned. I think it's very interesting. It's really just trying to shut people down. Shut them up. And make sure that they protest in what white folks deem is it acceptable and that's kind of the whole point um, i can't imagine anything like this being enforced in a way that is not racist and that is not a reflection of how policies are used to structurally enforce racism i i mean we can even look at the arrests from this summer compared to those on january 6th and it is alarming And I'm, you would think that the insurrection of January 6th would also be making an appearance in his um, defense of the bill. And from what I can tell, it's not that. 
this seems like a very coded way to say we don't like black lives matter we don't want you to protest systemic racism and if you do we're gonna find a way to penalize you for that even though you have a right to protest um and even there's still a lot of debate between what a protest is, what a riot is, what a peaceful protest is. And I just don't understand how anyone thinks that putting in a policy will deter those thoughts or feelings. I don't think this is going to decrease the amount of protests. I do think that whether a protest happens, like whether it is peaceful or not, I think that will be up for debate. I just, I don't know. It's it's giving me a lot of confusion. I don't know how this is not racially charged. Um, I don't know. I'm just confused about what's happening in Birmingham. What's brewing for you this week, Aaliyah? Oh my gosh. My brew this week is actually, it is cold. It's ice cold. It's below zero. Like Texas is right now. Um... So my brew was about Senator Ted Cruz and how homeboy really said, I'm going to hop onto a plane and I'm going to go to Cancun while my state is freezing over. Um, that is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to stay with my state and with the people who are most likely dying as a result of not having, like there are definitely people who are passed away because um, the state is frozen and people who don't have like water or food or electricity who possibly have not been able to shower for hours and hours. I'm going to leave all of those people and I'm going to take my family on a plane and I'm going to go to Cancun in the middle of a Ponda replay. That is what Ted Cruz said when he got onto that plane and he got caught getting onto that plane. And then had the absolute gall to then turn around and blame his like, what are, I think his daughter's like super young. His daughter's like 10-ish, like in that age, 10, 14 in that age range. He blamed them and said that they wanted, they were really cold and they wanted to go somewhere warmer. And they said, let's go to Cancun. I was trying to be a good dad and take them somewhere warm. And I'm like, sir, even if your daughters had said that, which I do not believe because they were leaked text messages of your wife trying to urge neighbors to go to Cancun with y'all. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, even if that was happening, that does not mean that you leave your state when it's freezing over. Um, that's not what you do as an elected official. Um, I'm just honestly really like disgusted with it because um this man really acted like texans did not elect him um but i'm looking at it and i think that texans deserve better than you they deserve better than a senator who leaves them when they are freezing um and luckily um texas is warming up now but i honestly think that the fact that you even even thought about leaving them is vile and awful and i really feel like that's going to come back onto you in some way and so that is my brew for this week
but that is and with that it is time for tea yes i am uh so so very excited to be i'm not excited that black history month is coming to an end of course not but i'm excited to close out our black history month series with a profile on the literary spectacle octavia butler so butler sort of rewrote the script and set the precedence for media and literary genre that intentionally wrote out black folks, which we're definitely going to get into in just a second. She was the first sci-fi writer to be granted a MacArthur Fellowship and the first black woman to receive a Hugo and Nebula Awards. So at this point, like we do every single time, Aliyah, I'm going to ask you, uh, do you have like a personal interest in speculative fiction or science fiction and do you know anything about Octavia E. Butler? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I actually I do love sci-fi. I recently I recently finished watching <laughs> The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Very into it. Don't know a whole lot about a Star War, but um, you know, I really do enjoy that. I'm really into like high fantasy of any kind, to be honest, because I think it's like a great way to think about the world as it could be i love afrofuturism as an aesthetic and as a like storytelling device oh my god i'm obsessed with that um so yeah very much into like speculative fiction you know i think that that, that's a really good way to like think about not the world as it is but as it could be i think it's awesome um but i don't really know a whole lot about octavia butler the most that i know about her is that i know that she's an author and I know that she's like written a lot of things and I've definitely like heard her name a ton, you know, but I don't think I know anything about her like specifically. So I'm excited to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're interested in Afrofuturism, which we're definitely going to talk about, um, you've probably like will be able to like see her influence um, in the things that you've already like read or watched. But, all right, let's just get right into it. Born Octavia Estelle Butler in 1947 to Octavia Guy, a housemaid, and Laurice James Butler, a shoeshiness. Unfortunately, Butler's father died when she was only seven years old. And this kind of um, really set the stage for the rest of her upbringing. She was raised from then on by her mother and maternal grandmother. Uh, She grew up in an integrated community in Pasadena, California, and, you know, a lot of times she would go to work with her mom, who, um, you know, was a maid for multiple clients, and she was able to see firsthand how, you know, just the difference in how her mother was treated by these employees, and or, or her employers, rather, and you can also see like that influence in her writing as well because like all of science fiction does a lot of it critiques like the social hierarchies that exist um in our world today um but growing up octavia was very shy and awkward she had a difficult time socializing and that paired with her slight dyslexia made school really difficult and um an easy target for bullying um so she passed a lot of the time alone reading at the local public library she quickly developed an interest in science fiction magazines and often read other um, science fiction authors like Zena Henderson and John Bruner um so she's but you know 
Uh, she started quite young. She got her first typewriter at the age of 10. And after watching um, Devil Girl from Mars, she concluded that she could write a better sci-fi story, which, you know, couldn't we all? <laughs> this is when she started drafting the beginnings of what would become the Patternist series. In her teenage years, she encountered obstacles in writing, just, you know, by virtue of being a black woman. A lot of people around her were telling her that it wasn't lucrative, that it wasn't a good path to go down, that she should um, focus on more stable jobs with more steady income, which is, you know, still critiques that a lot of artists hear today. So, um, but that didn't really stop her from entering writing contests or honing her craft. Uh, while attending Pasadena City College, she won a college-wide short story contest and walked away with a prize of $15. So this is the first time that she was able to, like, profit off of her writing, which, and now we think about it, like, $15, not a whole lot. And even now, it's, I don't want to say, like, it's hard to make money with writing, because that's not true, but it's, like, um, you still have to like build up to that and work to that. And we can see that, um, just like in her path, even in her early years. But, uh, and this part I think is really interesting to, especially once we know like what influenced her to start writing in general, uh, a quote from her is, I began writing about power because I had so little. And so there's a lot happening in her early life. Do you have like any, um, interjections at this point? Any... Any talking points? Anything stick out to you specifically? Um, like the absolute power in that quote. Like, oh my god, I feel that. Like, I'm a writer, you know. Like, I don't write, I don't write fiction. Uh, fiction isn't really my jam. Um, but I do write poetry, and a lot of the reasons why I write that is because, like, I wanna, I wanna give voice to experiences that I'm having, and hopefully, you know someone else also have those and so I just I feel you know a little connected to her on that sentiment but also also I think that's like you know that speaks to the importance of having like um POC BIPOC like writing fiction in the first place you know because we don't really get to be in it be in a lot of fiction really not like sci-fi in like a nuanced way you know and so or like in a way that doesn't surround our own trauma and so I think it's really great that like that's like the 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 crux onto what she's writing you know like I feel that very deeply you know trying to give power back to these narratives that we don't really get to be in a whole lot yeah no I think I think you're totally right like and it's definitely important to note that like speculative fiction differs slightly from science fiction it is a broad genre that includes quote certain elements that are non-existent in reality and that's like a really broad definition right and so a lot of things can fit under that so that's like supernatural things futuristic or other imaginative elements can all be included in speculative fiction but the fact that in the 70s this young black woman and like black people in general were not being written out of this genre but I think it would be more correct to say they weren't being written in at all they weren't being thought of there was nothing to write out because even under a genre where the whole point is to imagine something fantastical and outrageous racism still preceded that you know racism still preceded the white imagination in a way where 
prominent writers, filmmakers, science fiction, um, you know, uh, trailblazers were unable to imagine black folks in that future. A lot of times um, I'm taking a science fiction film class now. And a lot of things that we see is that um, if the story is happening in another world, in another time period, it, a lot of times it's still a reflection of hu like human society at that time. A lot of um, science fiction, classic science fiction that comes out of like the 50s and 60s is reflective of like American politics around the Cold War. Um, uh, we can see that like, film directors writers and like science fiction trailblazers a lot of themes that were like visible in those works is that like they're reflecting human consciousness or just like our socio-political like standings at that time and so it's like if we are if we can like imagine all of these things but you can't imagine a world where like black people are thriving or prospering um then that's like a problem you know the fact that we have to wait for other black people to imagine um ourselves having agency in a fictional world is it's not ridiculous but it's just like another it always circles back to anti-blackness so <laughs> yeah no no like totally um but yeah, post-college, uh, Butler worked some odd jobs to support herself um, while she was trying to work on her writing career. And she attended writing workshops such as the Writers Guild of the American West, where she impressed established sci-fi writer Harlan Ellison. And she was recommended to attend other intensive workshops across the nation. And so for the next five years, Butler worked on a series of no novels that later became known as the Patternist series, um, Pattern Master, released in 1976, Mind of Mine, 1977, and Survivor in 1978. Um, at this point, she was able to support herself fully just through writing. And she ended up taking a, a break from the Pattern series when she wrote her most acclaimed novel, um, Kindred, in 1979. And then she went back and ended up finishing the series with Wild Scene in 1980 and Clay's arc in 1984. And so while I was going through her, um, just the timeline and the chronology of everything, I also think it's interesting that like she would take breaks from series that she was working on to work on short stories or poems or essays. And I think that's really cool too. Um, but do you have any interest in reading any of these things so far i've got some credits on my audible so as while i was going through this i was like oh okay maybe i'll get the audiobook like maybe there's one that i'll <laughs> that i'll splurge on or something like that oh my god yeah i'm really interested in like this series a eh? but also okay i have heard of kindred as a book i think i just never knew that like her name was attached to it you know um so i'm definitely going to have to like check these out you know um i also love audiobooks um unfortunately being in college is kind of like messed up with my ability to pay attention to like uh physical books at the at this point but um they, so as a result i'm very into audiobooks and so i'm going to have to you know maybe uh download some of these uh via audible or via um apple books yeah but the so like 
we're at this point in her life where she's cranking out all of these books. And so instead of like following the chronology up until the end, I just wanted to highlight some of her more popular ones. And because a lot of the writing periods overlap, I wanted to explore some of the, you know, the more lasting works and get into the themes of humanness, heroism, and hierarchies, which is basically what I was talking about earlier. Like a lot of these themes ran true to the science fiction genre and um uh like kindred you were talking about kindred that's her best selling novel where the protagonist dana travels against her will between her life in 1970s la and pre-civil war maryland on a plantation and so the premise sounds a lot like the film antebellum i don't know if you've seen it um by the 2019-2020 film Antebellum. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it. Yeah, and so there was a lot of speculation that Antebellum was based on Kindred. Um, and I don't think that's true. That's that's not true. But they do have like a very similar premise of going back and forth um, in time. And then the past obviously being like on a plantation, like pre-Civil War. And we've talked about like representation and slavery in film and in media and how oftentimes it's criticized for being explicitly violent or, you know, just showing people being brutalized for the shock value, but Butler's style and which she's like often acclaimed for her use of prose makes it very um, precise. And so Stephen Kirst from, the New York Times book review talks in this really long form article about where to start with Butler's works, depending on what you're looking for. And so he explains them <laughs> in detail and we can link that down below. Yeah. But if you're just like not, if you don't know where to start with, um, her books or because you don't have to read them in order or anything like that or if you know that you're really interested in dystopias or if you're really interested in aliens I think um Kirst does a really good job of explaining all of that in in like detail so if for example if you're into nuclear war and aliens and sex then the xenogenesis series is probably something that um, would speak to you and so this is like a uh, you know chronicles like human alien relationships and it's set 100 years after the cold war and um, the humanity has been obliterated so if that's something that speaks to you maybe you'd want to start there or um, if time travel is something if you're a sci-fi purist and you're interested in time travel maybe kindred would be the one for you um, but I definitely want to talk about some of the themes that are just like really strong throughout. And it's not that I, it's not that Octavia Butler is like the first or only person to talk about these things. Like I said, like it definitely reigns true to the genre, but like specifically, Leah, uh, you were talking about Afrofuturism, which if anybody for our listeners that don't know, Afrofuturism is speculative fiction that treats um, Afro-American themes uh, or like addresses African-American concerns within the context of like technical culture. And so a lot of times protagonists in Butler's works would be 
those of a marginalized community or those who um, had had been disenfranchised in some way. And, but oftentimes like her characters or like all of the people in her works, they're not limited to black people. There's often like multiple ethnicities going on. Um, but if you wanted to speak on Afrofuturism, yeah, no, I just really, I just really like it, you know, like as, as like an aesthetic, cause I really, okay. So I found Afrofuturism through like, um, when really like thinking about black fashion, really, you know, um, not, not so much as like a narrative because I feel like a lot of the time, like, um, uh, black people, as far as like dress is concerned, we like kind of aim in the way of looking as like normative as possible so that people will like respect us um and so then when i found like the aesthetic of afrofuturism it was like a like a glorification of like black style and culture but also like it wasn't trying to be normative in like any way shape or form it was like fashions that are just like trying to be authentic to that person you know and authentic to what they think is like beautiful um and that like amazed me um and then I realized that it was like a whole like genre of literature that and genre of like um media and I lost my mind um and I think like Afrofuturism is like important in that way both in fashion and, and in media because it's like I think black people deserve stories and concepts about us that aren't like necessarily about our trauma and i think like afrofuturism does that it is putting us in a place that is like far away from the place that we are in now but also in a place that would be like comfortable for us at the same time um and i think that's like a lot of like the beauty of thinking about afrofuturism like as an aesthetic and as like a piece of like media yeah no i mean you're getting it like definitely on like i think you're hitting it on the the nail on the head i would just i was just watching dirty computer in my film class that i was talking about which is another reason why i was so excited i feel like i've just spent the semester talking about science fiction um and i think that's a good example of what you're talking about of how because that is like a mixture of like music narrative film with like really strong images and um very specific like very calculated details that all align with like the afrofuturist like movement and essentially like the main character is a part of this oppressed um class in a fantasy world quote quote <laughs> and we go as her memories and like her humanness is being like stripped away from her we go back on this like journey down memory lane where she really was just like embracing like black joy and rage and um all of these things her queerness and sexuality um and how all of those things were just like a direct threat to the state and then eventually like she gets assimilated and the process continues and so um it's a I don't know. I think it's a pretty strong narrative that we can relate to, but it just brings us back to like the, the imagery um, that we use and like the fashion. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I think you would like it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just, uh, I'm just so into it. Especially, like, I think we were talking about this, like, before the show. Was that, like, also it's that I think just, like, her work seems, is, like, feels, feels very, like, influential to me. Uh, even though I haven't really read a whole lot of it from, like, what you're saying. Is also just because, like, I don't know. Like, black people's space in, like, fantasy in general is usually not a great one like oftentimes like the people who write fantasy are also are not from like um are usually white um and as such like those people's um implicit biases or unconscious biases rather are like going to influence the way that they write about people of color like i was talking to you about how like i was watching lord of the rings for the first time um recently and like the characters of orcs feel like really racially charged to me you know because like whenever anyone mentions like this like light dark dichotomy and fantasy it always feels like super racist to me like and it just it's because like usually it is used in that way especially when you have like all of the races that are like the heroes in this story are all caucasian like every last one of them you know and the races that like are the bad guys in this film and in films like it are often people with like darker skin tones not necessarily like brown but they are like darker in nature and they do have like a darker aesthetic to them and it just never it never rubs me the right way you know and so i think like writers like her who are going to like put black people in like positive fantasy lights is like always going to be really important and revolutionary for me because i've always loved fantasy but i've just never been able to take part in it because like oftentimes with the prolific writers of fantasy that we do have they're not thinking about me or my body or my story as being a part of what they think fantasy a fantasy world outside of ours looks like you know because often like these, these are people who are also like only associating my body my experiences with like oppression or with whatever unconscious biases they have about people who, who look like me so that's also just kind of the importance of having like black voices in fantasy and in sci-fi yeah no i think you're 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 definitely not alone in feeling like that <laughs> um but during her her later years uh, butler struggled with writer's block and depression partly caused by some side effects of medication that she was taking for high blood pressure and she continued writing and taught at clarion science fiction writers workshop regularly in 2005, she was inducted into the Chicago State University's International Black Writers Hall of Fame. And unfortunately, Butler died outside of her home in Washington on February 24th, 2006, at the age of 58. So that's honest. That's today. The, and that's happened twice to us on this show. Um, so, but... Honestly, I think that just supercharges why February is the best month. We have to remember all of these people. Um, after her death, and there were some, 
there was some controversy while I was looking it up about like what caused her death specifically. But years after um, her death, unpublished stories uh, were discovered and then ultimately released by her estate. And so if you look for the book, it's called Unexpected Stories. It contains two unpublished stories from before her death. And I think that that is quite interesting. I don't know what your thoughts about that are. I just thought that that was really interesting. I think it's just like a, a way for kind of like your legacy to live on post-mortem, but also that feels very personal because you're like, what it was it not ready? Like, I don't know. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you could get like a, a look into what was going on in her head at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. As I'm always going to be like, oh my God. Yeah. You definitely should publish these because <laughs> on some levels, like the world deserves to like see it, but also it's kind of like, you know, it's sad because it might not have been the story that like she wanted to put out into the world, you know? Um, but I feel like, you know, it's a part of her legacy and the world deserves to share in it. You know, I felt very similarly when I was reading like Dostoevsky last semester and like, he um he wrote the, the, the brothers karamazov to be a series but like he died before we got like the next book in the series and so we only have book one of it and you know it's still a good book and it's still like beautiful even if we don't get to know how he intended to wrap it all up so i don't know i think it's still great that we get to have this piece of her legacy in whatever form it comes in but um as far as like takeaways from her story like I just I don't know I love writers I think it's because I'm a writer and so I like I get (laughs) I get the it you know um but also I think that like writing is important because it's like the whole world can like go to dust you know and I think the things that are gonna last are things that we've written down you know like so much about what we know about who people were in the past is because they've written it down and because they've told us something about it. And I think it's, you know, all the more important that like everyone's hands gets to be on history in that way. And I'm really grateful to be living in the reality where, you know, her hand has been on it and is she's told some stories about people who look like me and who look like her and who look like a lot of other people who get to be uh touched and inspired by her work no you're you're completely right when we were planning this series um a couple months ago and we were thinking about who we wanted to to feature because i mean essentially we're at the end of it now and i'm glad we chose the people that we did but i knew i was like okay i have to talk about octavia butler because science fiction is making a comeback Right. And we're like slowly seeing more and more black people take charge in the genre. And and I will talk about this always like um, we're seeing black influences in these alternative subcultures, not because they haven't always been there. Right. And it's like Octavia Butler was laying the groundwork for those influences to exist. And now we're in a place where it's like these things are going to continue to happen and I think it's just really exciting to be able to see black people in these like fantastical spaces right and and I could get the critique where you're like oh well it's fantasy and not everything is about race and 
you know, who cares if black people are represented in this genre? But, uh, you know, even in like super famous, popular um, pieces of media, there's like racialized others that represent blackness all over them, you know? And that is something that we can see very early. So like the same phenomenon that you're talking about with the orcs in D&D and D&D culture, that like those same tropes are happening all across the entire genre. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see blackness represented one by actual black people, but two like in a different way. But to quote my sci-fi queen, Embrace diversity, unite or be divided, robbed, ruled, killed by those who see you as prey. Embrace diversity or be destroyed. But that's a wrap for this week's episode. You can all find me on IG. I'm at Yasmin underscore S-A. Aaliyah, where can our listeners find you? I am at It's Aaliyah Dorsey on Twitter and Instagram. As always, please follow us at Black Girl Tea Party on Instagram and search Black Girl Tea Party on Facebook and at Black Girl Tea Time on Twitter to stay up to date with episodes and updates from us. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. You can also send us an email at blackgirlteaparty at gmail.com. Send us questions, ask for advice, or just tell us how much you love the show. We would love to hear from you. Tell us what you love about fantasy. Yes, tell us what you love about fantasy. Tell us if you're about to start reading a new book. (laughs) But But thank you for joining us this week. Our sources are listed in the caption. Please love each other and yourselves, and we'll see you next week. Um, this first one, I have a, a character in, in the books um, who is, uh, um, well, someone who is taking the country fascist and who manages to get elected president and um, who, oddly enough, comes from Texas. And here is um, one of the things that my character is um, inspired to write about this sort of situation. She says, choose your leaders with wisdom and forethought. To be led by a coward is to be controlled by all that the coward fears. To be led by a fool is to be led by the opportunists who control the fool. To be led by a thief is to offer up your most precious treasures to be stolen. To be led by a liar is to ask to be lied to. To be led by a tyrant is to sell yourself and those you love into slavery.